Years ago, Kate Bowler, who's a professor at Duke Divinity School, was undergoing treatment for cancer. She and her family took a trip to the Grand Canyon. And along that route of Highway 66, they noticed on the side of the road a small chapel. And they turned on their blinker and pulled off, eager to investigate. And somehow the door was unlocked. So they went in to explore the sanctuary. And it was a very simple room. There was no central heating or air. It was only lit by natural light pouring through a few windows. There was loose gravel on the floor, and the benches were obviously put together by an amateur. And at the very front of the room, there was this large stone serving as an altar. And she stood there looking down at it and noticed there was writing all over it. And she could make out some of the words. God, please let my daughter be like she was before. Did you make it to heaven, my love? Helen, I am weak, but you already knew that. She looked up at the ceiling and noticed hundreds of pieces of paper folded up and inserted in the rafters, and then she noticed they were also placed in the seams around the walls. They were people's prayers, left there for God to hear. And even if we do not notice it when we enter the doors of this room, we find those kinds of prayers soaking these walls and resting on this table. If you will look on the back of your bulletin, there's a picture of a sculpture by Albert Giorgi entitled melancholy. And I don't know about you, but so oftentimes when I look at a piece of art, I have to stand there a moment, sort of tilt my head to the side and ponder for a long period of time trying to figure out what it means. But when we look at this sculpture, we know immediately what it is about. That anyone who has felt that weight of loneliness in the middle of a weekend, and everyone who has felt that sting of loss or disappointment, that there is no one who has not experienced that emptiness that can consume us on the inside. It is that melancholy that we have all experienced that there is no way to escape that sense of loss 
or longing. And the only way we know how to express it is through our prayers. That we have all experienced the words from Romans. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. That in ways we cannot explain, but perhaps we have experience that Spirit intercedes for us because God is for us. And if God is for us, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That even our smallest prayers can open us up to God's great love. That even if all we can say is, God, I don't know what to do next. Or God, please hold on tightly to my loved one. Or simply, God, help me. That those words are enough. They are like that mustard seed that begins so small, but it grows into this large tree that even our smallest prayers can open us up to God's great love. That prayer is a gift. It's like that hidden treasure or those fine pearls that we find one day out there in the field and we're willing to give up everything we have in order to buy it. And yet, it's given to us at no charge because God is for us. There's that timeless television show, MASH. Some of you may remember MASH. Some of us may have to ask the person next to us about it. It's about a mobile army surgical hospital based in the Korean War. And there's this iconic scene that Scott Hosey points out where this patient comes in and the doctors are trying to figure out how to help because this patient thinks that he is Jesus Christ. That he was a pilot who had been ordered to deploy bombs on people he did not know. And one day, his mind could no longer process that trauma. And he decided he was no longer a pilot, that he was 
Jesus Christ. So the doctors are trying to figure out how to use reason and logic as a leverage to help him see the reality of his delusion. So they say, okay, if you're Jesus Christ, why are you in an army hospital in the middle of a war? What would Jesus be doing here? And with tears rolling down his face, He said, where else would I be? These are my children, and they are hurting. That God is for us. Perhaps we all enjoy days at the beach, feeling the sand beneath our toes, watching the waves crash against the shore. But there are dangers at the beach, like shark attacks. In the recent days, I have watched some clips from Shark Week on the Discovery Channel, pictures of those mysterious predators of the deep and those huge jaws that they have. I'm really glad I went to the beach before Shark Week. But as it turns out, more people are harmed by riptides than shark attacks. It's those currents that can catch us off guard like life does at times and pull us out into the ocean, away from the shore, into the deep waters. And our first instinct is to begin to swim against the riptide, directly towards the shore. But David Zaw has a family story of caution that he remembers when he was a boy and his father got caught in a riptide and he watched as his father was being pulled away from the shore out into the deep water of the ocean. And his father, just like many of us would do, immediately started to swim back towards the shore. But all it did was tire him out and increase the threat of drowning. That fortunately... Out in the deep water, there was a man with flippers and a snorkel who just happened to be there to rescue him and swim him back to shore. But he says that he learned then as a boy that if you're ever caught in a riptide, you should not try to swim against it, that none of us is strong enough by ourselves to outswim it. Instead, we're supposed to float until we get to a place that we can swim out of it, 
parallel to the shore. And then back to safety. But floating is not easy. Just ask Eric Minton, who says he is a terrible swimmer. But it's not because of lack of effort. Instead, it's just the opposite. When he gets into the water, his arms are thrashing around, his legs are going in every direction, all effort, no form. Because, he says, he doesn't trust the water to hold him up. He's got too much anxiety and too much fear. So his wife continues to remind him, more trust. That if all we had to do was simply to pray harder, it might seem easier. But instead, we are to rest ourselves in the love of God, knowing that we do not have to do life alone. That it might not solve our problems. but it can carry us through it, providing us more clarity, offering us relief, and renewing our strength because it opens us up to the love of God who is and always will be for us. Amen. We come now to that time where the church invites all of us to respond to God's presence in our own lives, whether we are here in this room or watching over live stream. If you are here this morning and like to bring your membership to this family of faith, I'll be down front to greet you as we stand and sing together.